Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Webbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on today's episode, no PMQs unpacked. Because MPs have got a little recess. They're having a long weekend off. I'm sure that's just the right thing to be doing at a time when there's massive uh, concern about trust in politics and how they spend their time. Uh, so, uh, no PMQs unpacked, but it doesn't mean we get to bring you Disunited Kingdom, which we do every Wednesday on my Times Radio show at 11 o'clock. Uh, and then when there isn't PMQs, we can bring it to you on the podcast instead. So that's coming up, political news in the four corners of the UK. In a moment, we'll have our columnist panel. But first, because uh, I played this on the radio and I thought it'd be quite fun to play with you, let's play a quick game of Cox or Commons. Cox or Commons. Yes, it's the game where you have to guess. Well, Sir Geoffrey Cox working for himself or for his constituents in Parliament. It is Cox or Commons, and joining me for today's episode is Henry Zeffman, Chief Political Correspondent of The Times, who broke the story about Geoffrey Cox using his parliamentary office for his work as a barrister for the British Virgin Islands. Good morning, Henry. Good morning, Mac. Good to be with you. Uh, well, here we go, then. Uh, <laughs> Very silly idea this way. Here we go. Let's uh, let question number one, Henry. Cox or Commons? A lot has been said about legal risk. I mean, ministers, as you know, take legal risks all the time in the decisions that they make. So, Henry Zeffman, is that Cox or Commons? Uh, that is, um, I'm pretty sure. I should, by the way, I should have asked what this game meant before agreeing to come on. <laughs> I'm very worried I'm going to embarrass myself here. But that is him on September the 14th representing. British Virgin Islands. So that is him working from for... House, from his House of Commons office. It's him working for uh, the British Virgin Islands. So working for Geoffrey Cox. So for the... So pre- Cox. 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 Sorry, that's is the correct answer. Right, here's number two. Cox or Commons? An Attorney-General might well be expected to tell his colleagues that there was no respectable argument that something was lawful. Je- uh, Henry Zephyr, was that Cox or Commons? I think that's Cox as well. Is the correct answer. That was Jeffrey Cox, also working for Jeffrey Cox. Right, number three. Cox or Commons? Um, And frankly, the discussions you've had this morning seem to me to require a degree of balance, Commissioner, and I invite you to consider submissions at the end. Henry Zeffman, Cox or Commons? (laughs) That is Cox as well. Is the correct answer. Right, number four in this hugely popular game that's just going to run and run. Cox or Commons? I have an experience that is very rare in my political career, which is a sense of uh, complete vindication. Henry Zeffman, Cox or Commons? 
That is Jeffrey Cox making his only speech in the House of Commons since uh, being sacked as Attorney General, uh, condemning the Fixed-Term Parliament Act and calling for its repeal. Well done, Henry Zeffman. Henry Zeffman. You've got them all right. Uh, congratulations, you have won today's uh, extraordinary episode of Cox on Commons. Uh, Henry, are you pleased? Uh, I'm, I'm ecstatic. I think you should clarify for your listeners, your hundreds of thousands of listeners, that... Um, that I um, that I wasn't given those in advance. I'm quite pleased with myself. <laughs> Henry, you're very, yes, exactly. It's because it's because it's all based on your excellent journalism. That's the point. And you spent all day yesterday reading uh, uh, and listening to Jeffrey Cox at some length, which meant you got them all right. Uh, but it did mean I didn't get to use this answer. But there we are. I've used it now. Uh, Henry, uh, Henry Zeffman, get back to work. Thank you very much for playing. Cox or Commons. Oh, what a lot of fun. Uh, right, here we go then. Let's uh, turn our attention to our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be Crampon. It's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. You just heard them laughing in the background because they're here in the studio. They're the only they're the only duo that do, and we uh, love them for it. It's uh, Wednesday, so it must be Crampon. It's Robert Crampton. Morning, Robert. Morning, Matt. And Alice Thompson. Morning, Alice. Morning. I think it is actually Naked Wednesdays, isn't it? Because we always talk about people stripping. You two do. Yeah. I'm not sure I <laughs> you necessarily bring it up first. It was you that said arse. There was something <laughs> naked related last yeah. week. What, what yeah. was it last week? Alice going to a uh, And you just we had to do nudist, nudist camps, camps last week. Yeah. yeah, and we did farting farting yeah. cows. Didn't farting we? cows. Well, it turns out methane, it's not the farting, it's the burping apparently. Yeah, um, we established that last week. Yes. Well, we? no, I, I think we were the first because we said they had to wear face masks. We were yeah. talking to someone about if you feed them seaweed. Mm. That's right, yeah. It Cut. reduces. Yeah, and then I, we got on to f- um, burping, gir- giraffes burp a lot as well. Yeah. Although somebody messaged in with the most important question of the day yesterday. That if, if we don't fart methane, why can you light them? Um, so 87212, <laughs> <laughs> start the rest of the times. Do get in touch on that. Well, let's talk about climate change then, uh, which we sort of are. Yeah. Uh, somehow we've managed to get there. Uh, Boris Johnson taking matters into his own hands, uh, heading to Glasgow. I'm always sceptical when politicians say, I'm going to take this into my own hands and, you know, sort it all out myself. I suppose it works if it's like a bilateral thing, like I'm thinking maybe Reagan-Gorbachev. Or like when Blair went and practically camped out in uh, in Northern Ireland to get that done, then I think there's some sense in it. But Boris Johnson going to renegotiate carbon offsets for every different country, or I don't really see that happening. I mean, I think he's just uh, he's looking to take some credit and and maybe. Uh, take some uh, attention away from what's going on in Westminster. I mean, there is, I think it was in Barack Obama's memoirs, he talks about, maybe it was Copen, with the climate change talks in Copenhagen, uh, he talks about going there yeah. and discovering that the Chi- I think it was the Chinese and some other countries were in a room and they weren't signing up, and he literally just burst into the room unannounced, twisted some arms, banged some heads together, all metaphorically, yeah. and, uh, and actually did manage to get it, the very fact of him being there and saying, come on, you've got to sign up to this, does make a difference. Well, I saw form one of the former chancellors just before COP, and I said, what do you think about COP? And he said, it's not COP, it's 26. And that was, mm-hmm. he said, this has been going on and on and on so many times. You know, it's not, this isn't the first time, it's only because it's the first time that we've done it in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. And I think, actually, in a way, if I was Boris Johnson, I'd be flying up, uh, which, you know, I, assume, the I would take the train up yeah. there. Because... It, it does then deflect from everything else in Westminster. This is something that is going to be incredibly difficult to do. No one's going to blame him if he doesn't get it right. Mm. 
it's not going to impact on him at all. If he says anything about what Britain's going to do in the next 30 years, he's not going to be around. He doesn't get the blame for it. What he doesn't want is to have to talk about what's going to happen in the next few weeks. You know, the last thing he wants to do is be in Westminster. That's why he's going off to hospitals. That's why he wants to do climate change, isn't it? So he's going to do a press conference later on. And there is a risk that he's not really asked very much about climate change and he's asked mostly about Geoffrey Cox. Yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah, the, the trouble is he'll, he'll, yeah, he'll sort of take, he'll take Westminster with him up the, uh, up the M6 to, uh, to Glasgow and uh, the, 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 the climate pledges. Uh, and, some, and there is, as, as, you, as, you, as your contributors were saying earlier, there is some good news coming out of Glasgow. It's, all, it's not all doom and gloom by any means. Uh, will be, that will be obscured by uh, Geoffrey Cox and just pretty much every other Tory MP as far as I can see. But do I suppose part part of my and this is the point I was making earlier when I spoke to Amelia Womax, the deputy leader of the Greens. If we go into this with it's all nonsense, it doesn't achieve anything. Boris Johnson's useless. The Prime Minister of Great Britain can't. Uh, the very presence of our Prime Minister somewhere makes no difference to. So we might as well what just go outside and smash up a fridge and burn some tires and just carry on regardless. We we is a well, politics a false partly about hope. Well, actually, if you look at the polls, that people <laughs> do <dichotomy>. care. <laughs> they 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 want to go up. Do you know what I mean? They they, yeah, yeah. they actually Glasgow's had an impact because it's made people think about it. We've thought about it for the last two weeks really, and you can see it changing. It's now you know the number one priority for quite a lot of voters, and that's great. That's fantastic. And Boris Johnson's just an adjunct in some ways to that. You know what we're all looking at is the pictures coming out of that. And Greta Thunberg's had a lot of impact in that as well so yeah i think it's great we had it in britain actually and and it was seen as a big test wasn't it the, the g there was the g7 in cornwall and then and then cop 26 yep. these sort of two big post-covid post-brexit britain on the world stage actually the g7 to the extent it makes any difference went quite well he appeared to you know forge a better relationship with joe biden than something we expected yeah we shouldn't just it is possible that something comes i'm just i don't know why i'm sort of trying to be the optimist the boosterist optimist in this of course, I, it's better that it's happened than not happened. Yeah, and and and, and it's been. Uh, you know, any, you, you mustn't let the what's that phrase? You mustn't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Exactly, and that's. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it looks uh, look ten days ago. It looked like it could be a bit of a disaster. With there were trains, there were problems with the trains. The uh, Glaswegian bus drivers were uh, taking the opportunity to to uh, go on, you know, threaten strike action. Russia wasn't going. China wasn't going, and. All that said, it looks like it's been okay. I was just—I'm just sceptical just about whether Boris can uh, have much influence. If he can, then great. And I, but, I, so I, but he's not Barack Obama. No, but it was interesting. That, say this COP was happening in France mm. and it failed to agree something. Would we blame China and Russia, or would we blame Emmanuel Macron? We like to blame the French. Yeah, blame of the French, course. We? I mean, <laughs> of course. They're always the first people to go to, aren't and we'd, we? And we'd be right to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, if it was in America then, would we blame Joe Biden's failure as a diplomat or would we point the finger of blame at the countries which aren't stepping up? What can realistically we do apart from begging uh, China and Russia or whatever to, to do more? I think that actually <laughs> Boris Johnson... To a certain extent, that is, you know, he's quite That's, good at rallying yeah. people. He looks quite good when he does this sort of thing. He's good at photo opportunities. In a way, he might be one of the better people to have done this side of it. I mean, his problem is all back yeah. at home, isn't it? It's one of those things when you just love having anything to do that's a distraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but let's, um, let's move on, because it's sort of all... Well, let's drift back to the sort of domestic <laughs> politics. Your column today, uh, Alice, uh, where um, you tackle one of my favourite subjects, the House of Lords. But the problem is that everyone always forgets about the House of Lords because actually so much is going on in the House of Commons, it's all about the sleaze there. But the House of Lords really is the most extraordinary anachronism. And when I started at the Times, 
I was so junior that I was only allowed to report on the House of Lords when I became a political correspondent. And that was <laughs> what you did. And I, I spent my whole time there. So I got to know all these, you know, dukes and earls and, and you know. Did you I, get much in the paper? Uh I did, thank you, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, did. I was quite good at my sort of... I mean, they had good stories yeah, because yeah, yeah. they were all... You know, there were lots of ministers in there. Yeah. And, in fact, one of them got sacked because Rachel Sylvester and I took him out to lunch, Lord Howe, who was lovely and really kind, but he told mm. us slightly too much. Mm. And As we they didn't often know. do when yes. you two interview them. We didn't really realise quite how much he'd told us, actually, until we got back to the office. <laughs> but it was... It, it, they were just very kind and gentle and they were actual real experts. And when we had the hereditaries and those working peers... It did work better than it does now. Now it just feels a lot more sleazy, and it is partly because so many of them are paid to get in there. Yeah. But it also, it just doesn't make any... If you think about it for very long, it's crackers. Somebody, it's gets, somebody is elected as an MP yeah. and then gets voted out. So Zach Goldsmith is a prime example. Yeah. The good people of Richmond have had a slightly on-off relationship with Zach Goldsmith. Mm. Uh, they elected him, and then they mm-hmm. booted him out, and then he got back again, and then yeah. they booted him out He's again. Failing upwards. So yeah. Boris Johnson makes him a minister. He then loses his seat in the election. So yeah. Boris Johnson puts him in the House of Lords, so he carries on being a minister. Yeah. I thought it was telling analysis analysis piece that then the last five prime ministers have not taken a peerage, uh, which tells you something, uh, that they... they it, it, they don't think it's quite it's got quite yeah, the, yeah. the kudos that it, that it once had. And I also liked your idea about... You know, making it smaller and moving it to York. I think I'd move it to Doncaster. Rather that than that York. was a Dominic Cummings idea, wasn't it? Moving yeah. it to York. Yeah, I mean, the problem is that too many of them. First of all, it's too big. So apart from the something. People's Republic of China, the, yeah. it is the biggest, <laughs> um, really, chamber in the world, and it's bigger than the EU's chamber of MPs. So it is extraordinary that we have mm. this. The but Americans also, only have a hundred. We don't wanted they? to take back control from unelected um, yeah. cronies, and yet. That's we see. It's totally fine. Apparently, it's put in the House of Lords. We've we've unfortunately stumbled across total consensus again. Yeah, what, we have. Well, what, what, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what should we replace it with? Just in a much smaller elected second chamber. Yeah. Uh, straightforward. You know, what's the Senate? A hundred people. A hundred. Maybe, mm. maybe maybe that sort of size. Uh, I mean, you could say we're a smaller country. It could be fewer than that. Uh, with you know, with uh, expert opinion, they don't, have, they don't have to be the elected ones. They can they can just be called upon. As and when, yeah. Which is which is what which, you, uh, you need a revising chamber, and it has. To, if we're serious about democracy, I sometimes think that we're not that serious about democracy in this country. That we're not that bothered. We're not. Yeah, yeah. We're not that bothered about electing police commissioners and all. And there's Brenda from Bristol, who's, you know, because we have a couple of elections within a, a couple of years. She gets appalled by it. We should have. We should have an elected second chamber. Obviously, we should. Uh, that's a really interesting point. That actually, we're not that bothered about democracy. The, yeah. The, 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 we, you know, millions of people are in seats which will never change hands yeah. because we're quite happy with the system as it but is. That is the problem, yeah. isn't it? That's why the House of Lords has yeah. never properly reformed because no one can really quite be bothered apart from Nick Clegg. Yeah, so yeah. It, it just kind of carries on in this extraordinarily well, the Blair, weird I mean, the Blair, they got rid way. Of, they got rid of most of the hereditaries, and, and like you said, that seems to be a a victory of sorts for democracy, but then they just replace them with a bunch of crooks. And yeah. also these hereditaries. <laughs> and, fail- now, and failures. Well, now they have these 92 hereditaries, and when one yeah. dies, they then vote among themselves. It's the only yeah. bit of democracy. bizarre yeah. way, yeah. Yeah. The only bit of democracy. I think there's one going on right now, a by-election, for, 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 for somebody, somebody whose dad gave them a place died, so then they someone else who's only there by dint of um, 
uh, their parents gets voted back. But well, we have to yeah. then have a call out for the Duke of Wellington because he has yeah. been extraordinary because he's the only one this year that's managed to effectively get a U-turn out of the government on sewage. And it is rather amazing that someone who only owes his place <laughs> to being in the House of Lords because some ancestor won some battle has actually now produced, you know, some of the best lobbying for sewage, well, against sewage. <laughs> lobbying for sewage. For lobbying for sewage. There's, de- there's definitely a Tory MP somewhere lobbying in favour of sewage. I'm that's, sure there that, is. That's definitely happening. That's yeah. definitely happening. Uh, just uh, finally, uh, John Prescott, he's, given a, he's gone yeah. from two Jags to no Jags. It's a great piece he's written for Redbox today. I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I'm I probably the only person who read right to the end of it because when he got into all the stuff about the Humber Estuary and everything. <gasps> that oh, is of your course, place. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. Um, You're twins, really, aren't you? He's moved Mid, to. Thanks. That's, I don't take that as a compliment, really. <laughs> Low carbon <laughs> fish and chips as well. Have you given up? Have you given up anything in the name of climate change? Well, yeah, we've got a hybrid car. Yeah, we've, uh, yeah. we've got a hybrid car. Battery, go, batteries need to be able to go about sort of to three miles on the battery and then before it goes back to the petrol, yeah. but getting there. Uh, we don't have any plastic in our house. No, we re- yeah, we're quite good. Avid recyclers. You're both much better than whenever we have politicians on, or even though I say Allegra Stratton, uh, the private, you know, they're telling everyone else what to do, and they haven't made any changes at all. Yeah, well, she does something weird with her washing up, doesn't she? Which is the only thing There's I do. Loading the dishwasher. Although, as a, result, as a result of her coming on this program, she's got rid of her diesel. She came on in August. Yeah, you forced her into it. Yeah. Me saving the planet, not Boris yeah, Johnson. absolutely. <laughs> well, it's lovely to see you. You too. Uh, thank you for coming in. You, let, let you both go back downstairs now and be tasked with some more work by <laughs> various people in the office. Yeah, we, I like, think we, know, we know who you're talking <laughs> about. It's a danger of coming in. It's all right, she doesn't listen. Uh, lovely to see you both. It's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. I know she doesn't listen because she phones me when I'm on air. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson, then, of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Uh, just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is Dish United Kingdom. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. From Land's End to John O'Groats, St David's to Southend-on-Sea, and Belfast to Bognor Regis. England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. This is Disunited Kingdom on Times Radio. 
Yes, it's that time of the week where we get out and about across the UK to find out what's going on in the four corners of the United Kingdom. Uh, so, who have we got on the panel today? Flying the flag for Scotland is David Clegg, editor at the Courier. Hi, David. Good morning. Nice to have you with us. Uh, in Wales, Liz Perkins, reporter at Wales Online. Hi, Liz. Hi, how are you? Very good, very good. In Northern Ireland, Alison Morris is a columnist at the Belfast Telegraph. Hi, Alison. Hi, Hurston. Tip top, tip top. And Tristan Cork has reported the Bristol Post uh, flying the flag for England. Hi, Tristan. All right, how's it going? Very good, very good. Let's start with, uh, it's obviously a big day, a big week for uh, all things green and climate change and uh, COP26, Boris Johnson's heading up there uh, to Scotland today. I'm just quite interested both in sort of big politics, how much of this is sort of impacting um, the politics of your patches, but also what's happening today in particular is sort of transport day. And I suppose that's one of the um, you know, real life impacts of the sorts of decisions are being made uh, up in up in Glasgow today. Um, first of all, in uh, Bristol, uh, Tristan, what's the sort of green transport like? I mean, in terms of the politics of Bristol, the green, Bristol is one of the places where the Green Party is doing pretty well, isn't it? Yeah, but not well enough to make any difference if you're <laughs> supporter of the Green Party. Bristol's, Bristol's got Bristol's got a worse public transport system than most places in. I mean, there are there are pla- there are moons of Saturn with better public transport than <laughs> than Bristol, and it's it's been oh yeah, I can't even begin. We would be here for a week for me if I was going to tell you all about Bristol's failure to create a proper public transport system. But basically, it began with the Luftwaffe. Let's just let's start there. I mean, and nothing's nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. There hasn't been any. We haven't got a rapid transport system, a mass transit transit system. We've got buses that that haven't got enough drivers, and that's it. We uh, it's just it's it's a dreadful city. It's the worst. We've got the worst congestion. The slow it with traffic in Bristol city centre is slower than in London. We've got the worst air quality. We still haven't got a clean air zone, although that was announced that it's going to happen next year finally. What about scooters? What about scooters? When I was down in Bristol earlier in the summer. Um, uh, Marvin Reese, the mayor, was very keen on on the, the electric scooters. That was going to transform people getting around Bristol. So they've introduced these. Um, a, a lot of cities got them, and I'm sure in, in, where the rest of you guys are, in, if you're in a city, you might have seen these higher scooters. Bristol's actually got the highest. Uh, we got twice as many rides. 2.1 million people. Uh, 2.1 million rides have happened in Bristol. That's twice more than any other place in Europe. So that just shows you how bad the public transport system is, really. <laughs> that everyone is going, risking their lives on a child's toy. <laughs> I'd say when I was there, I was in a, uh, I was in a taxi rather than on one of these e-scooters and uh, saw someone clattering down a hill and nearly crashed into the side of the taxi on one of these things. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You're right. well, you, you were, I, I, I admire someone coming on, um, uh, supposedly flying the flag for their city and doing it down quite so much, Tristan. You're... Well, you're, you're... I need, I need... I need to say something because people in London think Bristol's this kind of paradise of renewable transport and everything and renewable energy and green everything. But it, honestly, honestly, <laughs> it's not. Good. Right. Well, let's see if anyone else could be slightly more optimistic about their, their uh, parts of the world. Uh, David Clegg, editor at The Courier. What's the, uh, what's the picture in terms of green, green transport um, in Scotland? 
It's pretty poor. I would say I would say public trial. I'm afraid I can't be more positive. I would say there's there's I mean, transport is an issue where you very rarely hear people saying the public transport's great where I am. It's a it's a it's a, a generally a grievance wherever you go, but certainly the trains in particular have been a big issue in Scotland for years. Uh the reliability uh, the state of the network and the service and also the cost. It's incredibly expensive to commute between Glasgow and Edinburgh, for example, despite the fact that it's only 40 minutes or something like that. So I think there's a big problem with with trains. The other the other thing that's interesting is obviously we now have Greens in government, in the Scottish government. The SNP have gone into uh, a, a formal arrangement with uh, some Green MSPs who, who now sit in government. One of the things that my newspaper did, because obviously COP26 is... Uh, on our patch so we were thinking of ways we could we could cover it slightly differently and we got a few reporters together and borrowed an electric van and tried to travel from John O'Groats to uh, Glasgow to Cop through that highlands through the through the central Scotland to get to Glasgow visit various uh, eco projects along the way and what we find is that for a country which uh, has greens in government and which uh, prides itself on being environmentally friendly that trying to travel by electric vehicles in Scotland especially in rural <laughs> Scotland is almost impossible today one of one of my uh, one of the reporters described it as one of the most stressful experiences of their lives watching this clock to see if they were they were going to run out of juice stranded in the middle of nowhere having been told that there was a charging point which when they got there was actually broken so I, I think I think there is a, a lot of work to be done on this and obviously uh, with Greens coming into government with the, this year with the fact that Glasgow is hosting this global conference there's obviously been even greater focus and acute kind of concentration on on these issues in, in recent months but I think actually if you put a slide reader over the record we're not in a great place Right, well, that's uh, nice and upbeat and positive. Uh, for, although I love, I love the idea. How did you choose the reporter that you sent out in the van that was almost certainly going to break down? What did they do we, wrong? We, we we had a few of them. They 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 they've got environment in their title. Oh, so right, fine. Were... Actually, take it's fine. Yes, you can go to cop and you can have the jolly and you can meet Leonardo DiCaprio, but you you might yeah. break down on the way. I, I think one say... of them got a glimpse of Barack Obama the other day, so they've uh, exactly they're happy. for the for the meet up for the problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I was you know sent to do stupid things. Uh, for the paper I work for, I had to dress up as a bear at a YMCA fun day. So actually, I think that's I think it's still marginally better being in a, an electric van. Uh, Liz Perkins in Wales, are, yes. are you able to be more positive about public transport? I wish I could say that the public transport in Wales was far better than the rest of the country. <laughs> but to be but fair, to be fair, no. And, and the thing is, the Welsh government, I mean, it's almost an admission from them that, you know, they're looking to see emissions being cut by 22% in 2025 sort of indicates that. And, you know, to be fair, they have got this five billion plan to try and get things down to net zero by 2050. And looking at putting, you know, like electrical vehicle charging points along Welsh trunk roads, they've got all sorts of different ideas in terms of, you know, they've got targets essentially by 2030, the number of car miles travelled per person is going to be cut by 10%. And, you know, the list goes on. I've got to say there is very much, you know, concern in Wales over climate change. And we saw people protesting out in Castle Square in Swansea. So it shows there is a real need to change. I mean, but the trouble is sometimes, I mean, the Welsh government have made decisions where they've shelved road plans, which, you know, were in place for 
I think it was years and years people wanted to have um, this road put in in North Wales, in Llanbedr. And they've said, look, this is not going to go ahead now because they're playing the green card. So sometimes it's, you know, pretty controversial, actually, some of the things that are being done. And, um, you know, clearly there's a need to be positive about the environment. But at the same time, you know, you've got to deal with the congestion that's already there. Yeah, and I was, the thing that's really striking, there's this YouGov poll which uh, came out yesterday, I think, which showed the, the concern about, in terms of the top three issues that face the country, uh, concern about the environment is the highest it's ever been since they've been monitoring this for I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years or something. It's up to 40% of people now say it's one of the top issues facing the country. So you do wonder whether the public have got there slightly before uh, um, uh, politicians. Um, go on then, let's, let's see if we can do any better in, in, in uh, Northern Ireland. Alison Morris at the Belfast Telegraph. <laughs> Tell me how, well, how be- well, <laughs> all, everything runs on electric and, and recycled chip fat or whatever and all is well and everyone is happy. You're going to love this. You thought the rest of them were bad. Hold my beer, boys. <laughs> there are no, <laughs> there are currently no buses on after six o'clock in Belfast because there have been three of them hijacked in the past six months and the bus drivers are striking and refusing to drive any buses on certain routes after six o'clock in the evening. And that's been going on for the past week because loyalists who are protesting, obviously, um, at the Northern Ireland Protocol have taken two bus drivers off their bus in the last week at gunpoint and set fire to them. So I think that means I win in terms of public transport. <laughs> yeah, it makes, da- um, it makes David's uh, uh, van stunt pale into comparison, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have, I have, we have armed mass men taking people off the bus, so that's not very environmentally friendly. Um, in, in terms of, of public transport, um, in Greater Belfast, they had introduced the glider system, which was originally meant to be a tram and instead is just a big, massive, bendy bus, really. Um, and that goes from one end of the city to the other, they're talking about next it, so it goes from, from south to north as well. Um, it has been really successful, and I think a lot of people do use it. Um, the issue is anyone under the age of 16 doesn't pay on because you're meant to pay, at uh, obviously, at a point before you get on the bus. So anytime I've been on it, most school kids tend to just get on it and then jump off and they see the inspector and run away and get on the next one. So um, this would be free, <laughs> free transport for school children, unwittingly. Um, but no, we have, we have climate change deniers, you know, among some of the, the people who are in, in, in government in Northern Ireland. We have two green MLAs elected to Stormont and they've also got a handful of councillors elected. Um, but in terms of, of climate change policy, they're, they're completely um, behind. And especially, it's interesting you mentioned that the public catching up. I think that you know people from our generation and older need to catch up with the younger generation. I was, um, a couple of weeks ago, went to talk to a young group of, of journalism students and of the 15 of them, they were all working on various stories and 10 of them were working on stories that had climate change at the centre of them, um, which is, is, I think, shows that, you know, that generation are clearly much more in tune because the mess that we have made, basically, they're going to inherit. So it is something that I think the politicians, if they want to future-proof their parties and future-proof their electoral success, really need to get serious about and get on board about because those 16-year-olds who I was, I was speaking to a couple of weeks ago will be voters in a few years' time, and that's, that is their main priority subject when I, when I was talking to them. That's really interesting, that. And I suppose that's, the, that's part of, you know, that's, that's a particular thing starting out in journalism. You really want to write about the stuff you really care about. And um, uh, maybe that just hasn't been the, the, the case in the past. I also wonder whether, sort of politically, we haven't said, obviously Boris Johnson's going back there. It doesn't feel like Keir Starmer's really got stuck into the, the climate change issue. I just wonder whether, um, 
at any of your sort of leaders, whether it's, you know, Nicholas, Nicholas Sturgeon, I mean, Nicholas Sturgeon's obviously been all over because it's in, in Glasgow, but other, other leaders sort of using this as an opportunity to really burnish their green credentials. I don't know if any of you want to claim that your um, uh, devolved leaders have been doing that. I think that some of the, the, the main parties in Northern Ireland, one of the, the Sinn Féin MLAs cycled um, to, to Glasgow to the conference. He basically cycled um, to the boat and then cycled from the boat and, and cycled. Oh, if, cycled only there, there if, only bridge, if only there was a and, bridge, uh, it would be much easier. Could oh, have just... please don't talk to me. It's <laughs> never going to happen. That's the most ridiculous thing. It would have made my life easier, Alison. <laughs> yeah, well, it would make, it would make your, your life easier and cheaper. But then you'd miss all the fun of getting onto the, the boat with the Celtic yeah. and Rangers fans. I'm sure where would the joy be if you took that away out of your life? Um, can, I, can I just say, Matt, that the, um, the, we've got one of our city councillors, Green Party city councillors, is, has just been elected to be the, one of the, the joint leader of the Green Party nationally in, in, in the UK. Yeah. She's gone to the COP26 thing, and our uh, city mayor, Marvin Rees, is also up there as well, banging the drum for being like how cities across the world are going to solve it. That, you know, national governments don't do anything, it's cities that are going to do it. But I just wanted to, we're talking about sort of public transport and stuff. I just wanted to share with you, you know, we're, this is this United Kingdom, and, and we've got all, all the four nations of the UK. Yeah, but let's just share the transport spending per head in 2019, the latest figures before COVID. Scotland, £642 per head. Wales, 395 London, 903 But in the southwest, the bottom of 308 And I think that's why everywhere in the UK has really rubbish public transport apart from London. And that's why. And, and it's because... You know, you can you can talk about why that is, but it's basically because, you know, the power, the people with the power uh, live in London and sort that out first. Also, I mean, the other thing is that the, um, the media being London based and London centric, you know, actually, the sun is about the only paper that ever really reports about petrol prices because editors who, who live in London don't drive anywhere, even though if you live outside London, you basically have to rely on your car. And one of your t- your obsessions all the time is about the price of petrol and uh, and all that sort of thing. You haven't got the figures for Northern Ireland and for the for these. Um, uh... Yeah, sorry, Northern Ireland three hundred and fifty-four, Wales three hundred and ninety-five. So they're both they're both pretty you know, pretty three, pretty three close. Less. Yeah, but uh, still a, around a third of around a third of London. Mm. Just let's just let's just um, ban just shut down London. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's it's, lov- it's lovely to visit, Matt. We don't need to shut it down. Just spend less on the tubes. But actually, I mean, that's the other thing. This is really interesting. And actually, because um, uh, I think, David, you were talking about trains, but I imagine this is the same everywhere. There was a sort of like political decision, certainly in England, f- maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, as part of austerity. There was enough of taxpayers subsidising the railways and that passengers had to start paying it. My annual season ticket's gone up loads. Um, uh, and actually, that what that's meant is that people now don't don't get the train. It's really expensive to to do that. And unless you you take a political decision that yes, we are going to subsidise it because there are broader environmental and um, social uh, benefits, then um, uh, 
you know, then it's not going to, then things aren't going to change. Anyway, I, I fear that we're slightly turning into um, sort of uh, grumpy old men in women territory on this. So uh, in a moment, I'll ask you just to really cheer people up. I'll ask you about how COVID's going in your area and then we'll do your um, your lighter stories as well. This is a particularly grumpy edition of uh, Dish United Kingdom uh, with Matt Cholley on Times Radio in association with MasterCard Strive, empowering small businesses for a digital future. Times Radio Breakfast with Asma Mir and Stig Abel. As the COP26 climate summit draws to a close this week, we'll be following developments as world leaders try to reach a final agreement. We'll be looking closely at the issue of food waste again and asking celebrity chef Ian Haste what he would make with the ingredients from mine and Asma's rather empty fridges. No one's asked us about it. No, they haven't, have they? It's always a revelation, this, isn't it? And Emma Wolfe and Josh Glancy will be joining us on our panel to discuss that and the rest of the day's time. Top stories. Are they going to be discussing our fridge? They are. There's going to be pictures of our fridges. They're going to have to rank <laughs> them. And I think yours is going to win. Switch on to a brighter breakfast every morning. Times Radio Breakfast with Asma Mir and Stig Abel. Tomorrow morning from 6 on Times Radio. Matt Chorley on Times Radio with Strive UK from MasterCard. Empowering small businesses for a digital future. Find out more at mastercard.co.uk slash strive. Uh, morning, nice to have you with us. We are doing Disunited Kingdom. We bring you political news from the four corners of the UK. We've got Tristan Cork from the Bristol Post, David Clegg, the editor of The Courier in Scotland, Liz Perkins from Wales Online, and Alison Morris from the Belfast Telegraph. Right, I was going to say we've, I was going to say we've done COP26, so let's talk about COVID instead. But for you, David, in Scotland, the two stories are connected. Yeah, I think they are. There was a fairly alarming statement from John Swinney, the Deputy First Minister in the Scottish Parliament yesterday, who was uh, he was making this COVID statement because Nicola Sturgeon was at COP26. But what 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 he said was that they're expecting a big surge in cases in the next few weeks. That's partly down to the cold weather and the fact people will be huddling inside, the fact that people will be visiting their family more, but also surprise, surprise because thousands of people have flown into Glasgow from all around the world and huddled in a small venue for 10 days. And they're expecting that to, to cause, who could have predicted that that could have caused a, 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 a spiral in cases. So what he said is that they're going to extend their, sorry, I should say, they're giving consideration to extending the vaccine passport scheme, which we have in place in Scotland, meaning you would need to show that just to get into a pub or leisure facility. They're also talking about making more businesses go back to home working, increasing the use of masks. And they explicitly they explicitly drew a line to that to being we may need to take these measures in the next week or two to avoid another lockdown at Christmas. Those 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 nightmarish that nightmarish thought that there there could be more lockdown restrictions imposed uh, during Christmas again as 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 last year. So I think uh, after what it felt like a period where it was fairly positive trends in COVID as far as Scotland was concerned. That was a that was a, a statement that's caused the yesterday that's caused a lot of worry here about where exactly it's going and what it could mean for day to day life again. It's interesting. I wonder whether actually being a bit alarmist now is partly you know designed to sort of uh, get people to to buck up their ideas so that Christmas uh, isn't cancelled. What about um? What about yeah, the, the quote was precarious and unpredictable is what he said the situation was at the minute. So that was quite. That was quite scary. Yes. Um, what's the picture with COVID in Northern Ireland, Alison? Um, the, the figures aren't good, but at the, the same time, I think it's, it's the same everywhere. The concentration is on the hospitals and capacity. And this week, the big debate is, will it be made compulsory for frontline hospital staff to take the vaccine? There's still, you know, a, a number of, particularly care home staff, it seems, where there is a, a lower uptake than in the general population of the vaccine. Um 
there has been a sort of move to try and convince people to take the vaccine. I, I assume that that is because that that is a, a, a profession that is mainly young women, you know, and there's concerns about maybe fertility or pregnancy, or I don't know, but the, there's a low uptake in that sector. So there is a real big push, I think, from some quarters to try and make it compulsory that if you want to work on one of those frontline roles, you have to be vaccinated. And we don't have the sort of vaccine passport. They have introduced an app, but it is voluntary whether businesses want to use that or ask for that or not. We've had like any of the big events and big venues. Obviously, you have to show that you're vaccinated or a negative test. But in terms of general hospitality coming up to Christmas, it's more or less being left to individual businesses and, and restaurants, whether they want to, to implement that or not. I mean, when you're out and about, I think that there's a sort of, I think that people have more or less just resigned themselves that this is what our life is going to be like. I have noticed less people wearing masks, even though masks are still compulsory here. Um, but yeah, we know that this is a winter virus and it surged last winter and it's likely to surge again. The issue is our hospitals are, you know, have been underfunded for decades now and um, don't have the capacity to deal with that plus the ordinary winter pressures that, that come along with that. I don't think that we're going to go into lockdown again because the Stormont Assembly just don't have any fiscal raising powers to, to fund another lockdown. Um, Boris uh, Johnson's okay. clearly not going to fund any kind of furlough again. So I don't know what they're going to come up with to try and mitigate it. I don't see a lockdown this Christmas, but they may try and do some kind of, of measures in terms of limiting, you know, numbers in hospitality or things like that. But we can't lock down again. They're just The money doesn't exist to do it. That's really interesting. That the, sort of the, de the devolution means that it requires Boris Johnson to, to order the lockdowns for the, for the money to flow. Um, what about the uh, picture in Wales, Liz Perkins? Well, we've got the highest rate in the whole of the UK, which isn't really a tag that I'm particularly proud of. Um, but Leonid Morgan, our health minister, has said that they don't really go, want to go back into further restrictions. Although if the NHS is getting swamped, I mean, clearly they will have to look at that. And uh, in Bristol, uh, Tristan Court? Well, we're still reeling from the immense testing scandal, which hit the southwest uh, yeah. Bristol area quite badly. Our, our case rates down in this part of the world are a lot higher than in the rest of England. If I'm speaking on behalf of the whole of England, I need, do need to say that yesterday the health secretary announced that NHS staff in England will have to have the jab. Um, tomorrow, I think it is, yeah. the care staff in England have to can't work anymore and yesterday I spoke to a care worker who refused to have the jab who has had to quit her job and get a job in Lidl um, instead of working in quite a posh care home in Bristol. Um, since we last spoke uh, I, I took part in this I t had Covid myself really badly uh, I was in bed for two weeks and I was actually a victim of the immense scandal too I had a test that came back negative it was actually positive and I know I had COVID because I had a test with the NHS uh, rapid testing system the same morning which came back positive so and the, there's legal action down here there's um, uh, lots of people are kind of signing up to take part in legal action against the government the good law project they're uh, putting on because there's tens of thousands of people who were told they didn't have COVID when they did and then went off and infected their grannies or yeah, had yeah, to yeah, do yeah, work yeah. and couldn't get any money for it and stuff like that. So it's a big scandal. Even the people who thought they were doing the right thing, you know, they got the test, they took the result and then they acted accordingly. And then obviously it turned out that those, those results were wrong. Well, that was cheery. Um, the public transport's rubbish. Uh, the planet's burning uh, and uh, COVID isn't under control. So has anyone got, this is my favourite bit of this United Kingdom, anyone got a light story to end on? 
Well, there's there was quite a strange sort of appearance of a bike mountain in Cardiff the other day outside the castle, which uh, which I thought was a bit odd. Um, basically, lots of people are, have been stealing and vandalising bikes. So next bikes pile them all high and usually in Wales when you expect to see you know spectacular scenery but that was uh something that people were slightly taken aback by but uh that's oh yeah I've just looked it up that is a massive pile of bikes outside Cardiff yeah. Castle that's pretty good well, Any, anyone else can top a pile of uh, a pile of bikes <laughs> yes it's not, not particularly funny because it's a court case but we have a, a mad sort of magistrate here called Barney McElholm who there should be a book of his one-liners. And there was a, a case this week of a guy who was up in court for trying to for stealing his ex-partner's dog. And he decided to defend himself. And you know the saying, you know, a man who defends himself has a fool for a client. And Barney McElholm said to him, um, your idea of evidence and my idea of evidence are two different things. The problem for you is it's only my idea that counts. And that was <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very good. Anyone else? Tristan in Bristol? Yeah, so Bristol's obviously a very creative city, and a, the a Barclays Bank put up a uh, closed down their branch and put up like a, a frontage to block the store, which was all um, which was a kind of tiles. And um, people have been going along for the last few years, and it's developed into this massive Scrabble game. That people just come along with their own Scrabble pieces and put and play. Just you know, yeah, and everyone's gone on and actually put double word score tiles and stuff on there. It's, uh, it's another attraction. It wasn't Banksy. It's it's. I was just looking actually. It's very funny. So it's a sort of yeah. It, it sort of looks like almost swimming pool tile sized, um, you know, uh, frontage. And yeah, then people are going on and gluing on their own uh, Scrabble letters. That's very good. Um, uh, David, have you got anything for us in Scotland? Uh, it's on a serious issue, but it was causing some mirth in our newsroom this morning because uh, as part of the COP26 policing in Scotland, they're taking part in a thing which is called Project Servitor, which is basically a, a public engagement exercise where they go out and speak to the public, let them know them around. There's nothing to worry about. But we did have several people call the news desk to say the police are out in Dundee being nice to us. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so we're we're just getting a piece up shortly to explain why police are being nice to you today. Oh, I'm sure I'm torn now. I was I was leaning towards the the massive Scrabble board, but David, I think I'm going to award you the best story. Uh, people uh, phoning the paper because they're concerned that the police are being nice to them. Uh, lovely to speak to you, David Clegg. There, the winner today, uh, the editor of the Courier in Scotland. We also heard from Tristan Cork, reporter at the Bristol Post, uh, Liz Perkins, reporter at Wales Online, and Alison Morris, columnist at the Belfast Telegraph. Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo-jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times radio show. You can listen to the whole thing. Uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1, is available on DAB, online, via smart speaker or on the Times radio app. If you want to read more about all of the stories we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. 